I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the numbers 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Okay, but why would Nazis from 1945 want to crash my wedding? Crab legs. They were delicious. Well, Iris has a point, though. If they're out of time, they would have targeted the military or law enforcement. Tom, you was plucked from five years ago and put in the Prometheus wardrobe. That doesn't make any sense. It does if we're not dealing with an anachronism. Visitors from another Earth? Well, there are more than one. There are 52, actually. Well, I'm hard-pressed to think of one where Nazis are ascendant. I can. There's a 53rd Earth, and it's called Earth-X. doesn't have a designation because it's a place so awful, so horrific. No sane person would ever travel there. Basically, our Earth, same history, same timeline, with one crucial and critical difference. Let me hypothesize. The Nazis developed the atomic bomb before the United States did, and they're more than happy to use it. Yes, the Nazis won the war. In New York, London, Paris, Moscow, all obliterated. The SS set up outposts not only all throughout Europe, but also all throughout the Americas. And Hitler continued his brutal reign, aided by prime ministers and presidents sympathetic to him, until his death in 1994. Now they're not happy ruling just one Earth. God, this is making me a Yeah, my stuff's behind me. We have to find them. I mean, do you think they're using the breach to hop between worlds? That or they're operating from a staging area, somewhere in Central City or close by. Well, good thing we have a metric ton of smart people in this building. Don't worry. Let's get to work on finding our new friends from Earth-X. Earth-X. 
Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine. And in probably a record turnaround for this show, I'm not sure. It might be kind of neck and neck um, with some other guests, but Alex Marcus is back. How are you doing, Alex? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, it's funny. We're having you on the show again when the first episode you've been on at the time we're recording has not even come out yet. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, I it, it just goes to show what a great experience we had together that we want to have have a rematch even before anyone gets to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was not expecting when I when you um, said that you'd like to be on the show again. I wasn't expecting you for to schedule it so quickly. So this is a nice surprise. Um, but anyway, I don't think we have to remind people of who you are. So let's just jump into it and talk about. Uh, is there anything that's really kind of catching your interest at the moment? Anything that you're you're really interested in? Um, uh, movies, TV, comics, books, video games, whatever it might be. Yeah, well, not to place us at the exact moment in time that we're recording this, but next week, Succession, one of my all-time favorite shows, is coming back. So I'm mostly excited and anticipating the return of Succession. But I will give a shout-out to Ryan Johnson's Poker Face, uh, the TV show starring Natasha Leone that's on the Peacock Network in the U.S., a uh, really fantastic show, really fun kind of balance of a murder mystery of the week versus some serialized elements and just like the most high quality version of a show that we're used to getting at a much lower quality. Uh, so really recommend checking that out if you have the chance and have access to Peacock, which I know not everyone does. Yeah, I mean, I can access Peacock. Is it on the premium service? It is, yeah. Okay, uh, that that's that's the sticking point for me then because I don't want to pay for Peacock. Uh, but I, I think you can watch like the first episode it. for free. So, oh, but okay. it's it's great. I've Ryan Johnson directs a subway, like as in the sandwich shop, uh, making it the most beautiful place I've ever seen on screen. So it's like remarkable the level of talent behind a show that is ostensibly kind of just like a whodunit sort of murder mystery every week. So it's really yeah, fun. I've... A lot of great guest stars. I've been hearing a lot of good things about it from various podcasts and uh, chatter on the internet, and I've been hearing a lot of people kind of say like it's um, it's a new take on the Columbo concept, where the the viewers know who committed the crime, and then we just we go along with the characters to try and see how they figure out how it ends up uh, getting solved. Yeah, it essentially. Like it's essentially a show that in three acts, the first act you meet the characters for that week, the kind of special guest stars and you get to know the characters and you see the murder and you get a sense of why the murder takes place and by whom it is. Uh, then you kind of, you move into act two where you rewind to the clock and realize that Natasha Leone's character has actually been around in the background of all of these events from the beginning. We didn't know that she was there, but now we turn the lens towards her and we see what she was doing there and what type of emotional, personal investment she makes with some sort of there. She always has some sort of connection uh, that she makes. Either she becomes friends with the with the victim or with someone that the victim cares about or something along those lines. Uh, and then, so you catch up with her and see where she fit, fit into everything. And then the third act is her solving the murder. And what's really interesting is that she is actually kind of on the run herself throughout this. So she is not able to just kind of like call the cops and be like, Hey, I found a murderer. So she also has to kind of find interesting ways in which to inflict justice on these people, uh, which is also a fun kind of reveal at the end of each episode. 
Okay. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Um, I got to check the streaming services here because sometimes some of that stuff that's on NBC or HBO in the States, it'll usually end up on one of the the major streaming services here in Japan, like Netflix or or Disney Plus mm-hmm. or Amazon. Um, but the, the season is still in progress, right? Or is it finished? Nope, it's all finished. All eight okay. episodes have aired. So then, yeah, I'll have to check that out, see if, um, if it's coming out on one of those services soon or might even just be coming out to DVD release. Because I love... I mean, I'm one of the people who actually loves The Last Jedi, and um, sure. also well, I'm one of them as well. <laughs> awesome, good. You're in good company. Then, uh, frequent guest Adam Lance Garcia, he's a huge fan of that that movie as well. Um, and uh, I think at the, I'm not exactly sure about how the recording works out, but I think he will listen. He'll be in, on the episode right before this one is coming out. Um, and also, nice. you know the uh, the Knives Out movies, right? Those are just incredible. Sure. Yeah, and I'm a huge Ryan Johnson fan from way back, like going all the way back to Brick and Brothers Bloom and the stuff yeah, that he was doing, yeah. Looper, all that stuff before like he was a household name. I was loving his stuff. And so, you know, it's so cool to get to see him get the opportunity to just do like whatever he wants to now. And the choices that he's making are very exciting. Brick was just incredible. That's just like it you it 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 is I it still blows me away how effortlessly he was able to adapt red harvest and put it in a high school setting basically doing what um kurosawa did with you uh with yojimbo but now he's moving it to a completely different setting and it's one of those things that it's like you know imagine yojimbo or red harvest or um uh fistful of dollars but it's set in a high modern day high school instead it doesn't seem like yeah. it should work but it does it seems like it should be terrible when you yeah, hear that pitch. Yeah. You're like, oh, no, what a disaster that's going to be. But it's so excellent. Yeah. And, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course, the star of that film, the star of Looper. And we also have he has a really fun role in one of the episodes that Ryan Johnson does direct of Poker Face. So oh, cool. definitely worth seeing. Yeah, he yeah. plays a bit of a not great guy and he does it very <laughs> effectively. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Brick was probably the first instance we had of him being like a really taking him actually really seriously as an actor if i'm not mistaken yeah it was that and it was mysterious skin which was another indie from around that time that really put him to the test as far as like a dramatic actor and that was kind of like those two roles back to back sort of helped kind of establish him as like oh he's not just a kid from third rock from the sun and angels in the outfield like he's a real Mm -hmm. actor we need to take seriously and uh yeah i wish he would do more stuff because i've I've always been a fan of his (laughs) And my daughter's wandering around in the background here. So. Um, uh, but anyway, to, fan also, yeah, maybe <laughs> we'll we'll find out. <laughs> okay, uh, but anyway, uh, today we're talking about something a little bit different than uh, Ryan Johnson. Uh, we are talking about Crisis on Earth X. This was uh, one of the CW crossovers that they did. You know, long back in one of the early episodes of the show, we covered Crisis on Infinite Earths and. I've always maintained that these crossover events, they're basically like movies as well. And so when we talked about Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, and, and it actually, it's funny, at the at the local DVD store that I go to here in Japan, they have these available as, um, as movie compilations, essentially, where they've got all the episodes. They, they're separated by title cards, a little annoying, but they do have them all bundled in one DVD. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that when they aired, the year that Crisis on Earth X aired, if you went on the CW app, it was available to watch like that as if it was its own miniseries mm-hmm. for the uh, for basically like the whole year. But now if you try to watch it, 
if you don't have access to that very special cool DVD that you have, uh, it could be really complicated because it took a little bit of, you know, you have to pull it up on Wikipedia and be like, okay, it's episode eight of season six of this show and episode eight of season three of this show. You just kind of have to like piece it together uh, and make sure you have the right order. Otherwise you will be very confused, but it's worth the investment. I agree. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's Not before we come, where we're headed. <laughs> well, I mean, it's you know, for for a movie that's a few years old, I'm pretty sure everyone watching, listening to this right now, has already watched Crisis on Earth X, or they already they had already given up on the CW stuff long before that. So it's um, I don't think we're gonna be um, you know breaking anyone's brain here when we talk about this. Uh, but before we jump too much into Crisis, uh, let's talk a little bit about the CW shows and. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were not really as much of a comic book guy. You came in more through movies and TV into the superhero space. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah, I can count on one hand the amount of physical comic books I've ever read read in my whole life. Uh, But I grew up on the sort of like Fox Kids animated like TV shows of Batman and Spider-Man and X-Men. And that was kind of like my gateway. And then, you know, going into the movies with the X-Men and Spider-Man movies and, you know, then the MCU hit and I've been... Now I now I host two separate podcasts on uh, on comic book characters, so <laughs> it's become a it's become a pastime. But yeah, it's I did not read uh, any comic books, and that made the DC stuff a little bit more of a you know confusing for me because I de- mm. I definitely had less of a basis of understanding for this sort of wider DC event like a, a Crisis on Earth X or a Crisis on, Inf- on Infinite Earth. So that made uh that made watching this you know, probably a new experience compared to what some people who maybe have had expectations for what it might be like going in. Right. So let's talk a little bit about those uh, CW shows. Uh, how did you jump into into them? Were you on board from the very beginning with, with the first season of Arrow? Did you jump in later? And, you know, are you still in, invested or have you fallen off? Well, at this point, they are really just the kind of it's like the Al Pacino meme of like every time I think I'm out, they pull me back in. You know, I keep trying to give up these shows because they definitely have lessened in quality over the years, shall we say. Uh, But they always kind of trick me into giving them another shot. So I'm still watching the ones that are left. uh, But you know, through gritted teeth, sometimes like Mm -hmm. I, I came back for the final season of The Flash. Uh, because it was the final season. Like, of course, you have to watch the last season, and it's just, you know, it's not the show that it once was. But the way that I got into this whole universe is actually through The Flash, because I remember I'd watched Smallville, which is not part of this continuity. I'd watched it, you know, in, in middle school and high school, and I didn't watch it completely until the end, but I was a fan of it for a long time. And when I heard that they were making an Arrow show, I was like, oh, is it going to be a spinoff of Smallville? And then when I found out, oh, it's not a spinoff of Smallville, it's its own thing. And I saw the previews and everything. And it just seemed like they were trying to do a rip off of Batman Begins, but with Mm -hmm. Arrow for some reason. I was like, that's lame and cynical. I don't need to watch that. Uh, But then cut to like two years later. And I find out that one of my favorite supporting characters on the television show Glee, which is a show that I did um, regrettably watch back then, <laughs> uh, Grant Gustin, who played sort of like the cute gay couple's mean prep school bully, uh, which is so funny to think about now. Uh, <laughs> and he was great it's, on that show. It's so wild. I've never knew that because I've never seen Glee, uh, although there, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. So you're totally fine with that. Sure. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, it's so weird to hear that because, you know, he seems like the most likable guy ever on The Flash. Yes, and he played such a bitchy character on Glee, and he did it 
perfectly. Um, and that's, and so I was excited. I was excited that he was getting this opportunity. I was excited that he was going to get to play such a different character. And I had heard that he had already appeared on the, on the arrow in the same role. And I was, but I didn't see that, but I heard it was like well-received. And so then when the flash came out and it got really good reviews, I was like, okay, I'll watch the flash. I don't need to worry about arrow. I'll watch the flash. And then the way that these shows work, you know, it's like, they're like these like multi tentacled monsters where like, eventually you just get sucked into all of them. So uh, with all the crossovers, they all worked perfectly on me and eventually like talked me into giving arrow a chance. And then I watched, so I caught up with arrow and then I enjoy, I, I caught up with Supergirl once it moved to the CW and I really liked Supergirl. And then I watched, I was in and out on legends for a lot of the show. I would kind of like pick and choose when I would watch that because it was really kind of, I mean, that show has been 12 different shows mm-hmm. before it was over. Um, I think it actually is the rare CW show that actually ended really strong. I think it finally figured out what was good about it and put out a really strong last season, but and I liked Black Lightning a lot, especially its first season. So I ended up watching all the shows. And in fact, at one point, I was even writing a column for thepopery.com that was trying to do a roundup of all of the shows every week, which was definitely my death because those shows <laughs> are very plot heavy. And to yeah. try to do like four episodic recaps in one article every week was that was a difficult fall for me. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's been an up and down journey since then. Batwoman also. Batwoman, the first season of Batwoman was really rough. The second mm-hmm. season I thought was much better. Third season, so-so. But um, yeah, and I just, I really liked the opportunity when you, you sent me some ideas of what we could talk about getting to talk about this because, uh, you know, this is, we are kind of winding down the Arrowverse as a property and it is, it is really ending on a kind of, a faint whisper of mm-hmm. what it had been. And I thought it was cool to get the chance to kind of revisit it when it was really going on all cylinders and everything was working. And I really think that this crisis on earth X miniseries is like a, a high water part, a high mm-hmm. watermark uh, in that respect. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so I came in with the first season uh, of arrow and, and like you, I'd also, when they first announced it, my, my first thought was, oh, they're doing a Green Arrow spinoff from from Smallville because that was and that was kind of like the spiritual precursor to the CW shows, because um, a lot of the a lot of the stuff they did on Smallville, they also ended up kind of imitating in some ways or or taking the baton and kind of running with it, like, you know, mixing this whole superheroes with, you know teenage drama type thing that the CW loves to do. So they really kind of merged those two together. Although, um, and especially that first season of arrow, it was calling it Batman begins, but with, but with green arrow was a really good way of describing it because it is, I had recently started rewatching some of those, some of that first season. And it's a good, it's good TV. Those are, they're good episodes, but it, you can really tell that, what they really wanted to do was make a Batman show and they didn't have access mm-hmm. to Batman. So instead they decided, and this is a weird thing that the WB Warner brothers has been doing for since before Smallville, they've had this idea of making Batman TV shows without Batman in them. So they did goth. They originally before Smallville, they were going to do young Bruce Wayne. And then that ended up, right. then they decided not to do that. They decided to do Smallville instead and then later, they forget Birds of Prey. Remember Birds, they of did Prey Birds of Prey, even right? Before they, that, which you know, they were like, what, less, what if it was about Batman's that, daughter? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although Dina Meyer was great in that as as Oracle, she's sure. like, like I watched every episode, reason. all six of them. that aired. I, I tapped like, out after like three episodes, and I was gone. I was done. 
think you were older than me. I think that's probably why you knew what yeah, you I'm, were. You knew yeah. You saw the writing on the wall. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Arrow was kind of, it was in a, it was funny because that first season, it, you could really tell that they were really kind of ashamed of being a superhero show. Almost like he's not the green arrow. He's, he's the hooded vigilante or something like that. He doesn't wear a mask. He wears grease paint over his eyes. This is serious. This is serious stuff. This is not a superhero thing. And then Avengers comes out and in second season, they're like, we're going to have black canary. We're going to have the league of assassins. We're going to start. And then third season, it's like, fuck it. It's a superhero thing. We've got the flash now (laughs) and all that. Yeah. The Flash is here. We got magic. We got we got uh, assassins. We got everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was I'm I'm I had, I'm glad that they kind of made that shift and they were able to bring in the Flash and that first season of the Flash. That is like I don't want to say peak superhero television, but it, it is it is so solid. Like that that first season is amazing. Like it it really that is a show that was not at all ashamed of being a superhero show. It w- it just completely no. leaned into the concept. And same thing with and that it, first season that of Supergirl. Thing, the Flash, the first season of Flash did that thing that genre TV shows sometimes do, and also sometimes like youth-oriented TV shows sometimes do, where they just burn through plot as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. They don't hold anything back, which is exhilarating in the moment, because you're like, wow, anything can happen. There's no rules. I Like... This is a weird comp, but it's really similar in the sense of like the OC when the OC first mm. came out. It was a show where it was just like they were putting they put out like 26 episodes in their first season and they did uh, as much plot as other teen shows would have done in four seasons. Right. Because mm-hmm. they were just going like boom, boom, boom. Every episode there were new revelations. There was pushing it to the limits and you felt like anything could happen. And The Flash was really like that in its first season. And I think ultimately you found out why shows don't typically do that because then they ran out of runway and then it became increasingly difficult to match those exciting heights. But that first season, I remember the mid episode, the mid season finale of the first season of the show where there's like this moment where they're like a giant tidal wave comes and takes mm-hmm. out all of central city and Barry has to go travel back in time to save everybody. And you're like, this is happening in the middle. This is happening on episode eight of this television show. This is insane. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it was a great first season, but they just, yeah. they unfortunately could not keep that up. Yeah. I mean, I think the peak of the Arrowverse shows are from that first season, of the flash, uh, up until crisis on infinite earth after that i think that is like probably actually probably for all when all seasons all shows were running on firing on all cylinders it would probably be up until this movie earth x um and then the the shows definitely diverged in quality after that but you know i still thought i was still enjoying the flash and arrow for the most part um legends on and off supergirl was starting to fall off on and then Crisis on Infinite Earths, I thought was a great bookend to that. Um, unfortunately, and then after that, it just it it real it completely ran out of gas after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like for me, Supergirl. I think the third season is a bit of a weak spot, but mm. then I feel like it really figured it out in season four, and I really like season four a lot. And I think season five is also pretty strong, um, especially given the sort of constraints that they were under because of Melissa's pregnancy and then her decision to end the show. Um, 
for Arrow, I think that ultimately that first season is kind of hit or miss. They're really trying to figure out how much of a CW show they want to be. Mm-hmm. Like how much Gossip Girl do we want in our Batman is really kind of the tension of that first season. Yeah. Um, but I think the second season really figures it out. And, you know, the third season is also pretty strong. And then it just becomes so up and down after that, yeah. where you yeah. just have like good seasons and bad seasons and good seasons, bad seasons. And, you know, like, OK, well, we're halfway through the season. That means that Team Arrow is going to break up because they don't trust each other. And then there's going to be a couple episodes where they're upset and then they come back together and they fight the new guy again so it became very predictable um and with the flash i think it just that was definitely like i said they just ran out of things to talk about and then they tried to kind of construct these things and there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes as well you know andrew kreisberg who was kind of in charge of the flash initially uh he was outed as a um unfortunately a sexual monster as it turns out really um, fired from the show yeah and after that they had a kind of like it was a bit rocky during that transition. And then Todd Helberg came in and kind of righted the ship. And I think season five is a pretty good season. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he kind of gets, he leaves the show to start making the Superman show and the new guy comes in. And I don't think it really Eric Wallace. And I don't think the show's ever really recovered. It's just kind of shifted into kind of everybody's just there to collect a paycheck. It kind of feels like a lot. It's like very kind of leaning on supporting characters that the fan base just doesn't really care about. And the main, the principal actors are almost never in scenes together mm-hmm. anymore because they're all just kind of get their days in. And, and you really, it really feels like a show that's on its last legs. But no, yeah, I absolutely. will say the final season of Arrow was a surprising like return to form in my mm-hmm. opinion. I think that the last season of Arrow is really fun. It's kind of like a tour through the history of the series in a way. It sets up the big crisis on Infinite Earths and then it has a really nice satisfying conclusion of the series. So I'll stand up for that last season of Arrow, but there's a lot of rough patches in between. <laughs> yeah, so um there are flashes on the season 9 right now, right? It uh, is. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so season 7 and season 8, those are really those are really rocky for me. I mean, I think like I, I was just struggling to get through with the whole, the different forces and all that and how they were thinking of Mm -hmm. Barry and Iris as their parents and just like this weird, I don't even know what they were doing with that. And I'm just watching it. Cause at that point I had, um, cause at first, when I first started watching these, they were, it was like next day on Hulu, the the new episodes came Uh out and then eventually they stopped that. And it was all, you know, day after airing, they'd all go to Netflix. So then I just, I just wait until it comes on Netflix and then God, that last season, I can't remember which one it was where it was the different force. I think it might've been seven, but, and you had all this stuff with like Chester and Allegra. And I'm just like, I do not give a fucking shit about any of these characters. (laughs) I mean, like, just give me more of Barry and Joe. Give me, you know, give me more of Tom Cavanaugh that give me more of Cisco. That's what I want. And, and we had talked about this, uh, uh, on another episode with Anthony Desiato um, about when we were talking about secret identities. And one of the things we talked about how one of the things we felt like kind of lost its way with a lot of these shows was when everybody became like a superhero, right? It, and it kind of, mm-hmm. you know, so, you know, you've got, you know, you've got flash and you've got, you know, you've got vibe and then you've got killer frost and then you've got, you know, whatever the hell elongated man. elongated man and all these other Thanks characters that keep coming in or, yeah. or an arrow when there's the whole concept, it gets away from the idea of him as a vigilante with, you know, some help from, um, from Diggle and, and Felicity to now he's got a whole team with, and Mr. Terrific is in there for some reason because we needed a character. <laughs> and yeah, and that, yeah. that was when it really started to lose me. 
Yeah, I, it has that sort of thing that the soup that all genre TV shows get over time, which is the sort of like power creep, you know, mm-hmm. where you feel like, well, the show is most interesting when the supporting cast can be involved in the main plot. So there's only so many ways that you can contrive, like having a medical emergency for Caitlin to be involved in, right? So eventually, mm-hmm. if she's going to be involved in the main plot, she's going to have to get powers, right? And if Cisco's going to need to be, be involved in the main plot, he can't just be behind the computer, be like, being like, I created an algorithm every single episode. So you mm-hmm. need him to get powers. And, and then it's like, all of a sudden now, the team is just way too powerful. And the person who you're supposed to be most invested in is getting overshadowed. And so then you have to kind of pull everything back. And the dismount of that is oftentimes very rocky. And I think we see that in Arrow and in, in, uh, in Flash and in Mm -hmm. Supergirl too, had that same problem. It just eventually everybody gets superpowers. I think that those shows each all handled it in different ways. I think Flash handled it the worst mm-hmm. where they just loaded up all of their characters on powers. And then they realized that they couldn't tell stories with all of those characters having powers. Like I, to, I'm sure we'll get into this more once we talk about the main mini series that we're here to talk about. But like Wally West, for instance, is this character who's like, Oh, we got to get Wally in the show. And then they were like, wait, but if we have two speedsters on the team, like there's no problem that we could present that, they're not going to solve immediately. So we just have to find reasons for Wally to not be involved constantly until we just write him off the show completely. And it's like, what a complete waste of that iconic character and like, and an actor who I think was really game and and brought a lot to it in in the early seasons. And it's just like, we, we just don't know what to do. We can't make plots that actually deal with all of these powers and, and it doesn't feel ridiculous. I think Arrow did it better because everything is so like hand-to-hand combat fighting Mm -hmm. and so the idea of like scaling up you're still they initially tried to scale up with actual superpowered people and they mostly got rid of those characters pretty quickly and then they rebuilt the team around people that just also fight for the most part and i think that worked a lot better because i think oliver having to trust people having to lead a team there is dramatic uh tension to that there is growth for that character in particular that i think benefits uh, from that sort of dynamic. So there was ways that I think Arrow handled it better. And then with Supergirl, I think Supergirl did a really good job with it because like Supergirl is this source of optimism mm-hmm. for her community, right? That's a core part of her character. That's a core part of all of her plots. So the idea that she is kind of shepherding in new heroes and getting them to bring out the best in themselves, there was a lot of plot there. It didn't just feel like, well, now we need uh, like a bad guy with two really strong henchmen because we have two supporting characters with superpowers, you know, mm-hmm. like there was actual plot there. And so that's why I think that Supergirl actually got better as it went along because it actually made the best use of that superpowered supporting cast. Uh, I don't think I could agree with you on that because I have not been able to finish that last season of Supergirl yet. It's just, <laughs> I, I, I don't like the supporting cast at all is I think one of the biggest problems for me, it, whether they handled well or not, but I just like, you know, got brainiac five and dreamer and all those and like i miss it back when it was like win and and and, and james and and cat grant and oh. that was the supporting cast i definitely liked a lot better and yeah we definitely differ on that because i definitely like <laughs> dreamer and brainiac better than win and uh and james james olsen man that's a character that that show just did not know what to do they, with. I, yeah. it made me laugh when I saw in this series, it opens with him being murdered because it was like, yeah, they never knew what to do with him. <laughs> it's it's so 
I think what they did with with James is really kind of indicative of the problem that the the show had with a lot of these characters was just like we don't know what to do with them. Let's put them in a superhero costume, and that's that's kind of what yeah that was kind of their go to for almost every single show. Um, and Arrow, this is just you know one final point I'll make, and then we'll jump into the the series. And this is this is really just the the Green Arrow comic book fan in me, but. One of the things that always, as much as I did like the show for most of it, one of the things that I always found annoying on uh, on this show and to a lesser extent on Smallville, I think Smallville captured a little bit more of the Oliver Queen personality, is this idea of, well, we can't get Batman, so let's use Green Arrow instead. When, and yeah, if especially that's how they started out. Green Arrow was definitely an ersatz Batman back in the Golden Age. But when you get into like the Silver Age and what Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill had done with him, they really reinvented him as this, this this social crusader character. And that's the Green Arrow I like best. The guy who's basically, you know, Bernie Sanders, the bow and arrow is how I always describe him. And <laughs> I wish we could have seen a little bit more of that in the series. And there are points when it yeah. seems like they're starting to lean in that direction. Because I've been, you know, on and off in the background, I've been rewatching that first season on Netflix. And there's a there's definite like social commentary going on in there and i can see like the whole class warfare struggle and then it's just like they get so close they they go right up to the line and then they then they pull back and it just and they go back in the batman territory and that's just that's my personal thing just on it yeah well and i think so when i first started watching the show i didn't know about that character in that way so i was just kind of taking it as it came but i definitely over the time that it was on learned much more about that and it always struck me as kind of an unfortunate missed opportunity because especially this greg berlanti burst like we call Mm -hmm. it the Arrowverse, but really it's like super producer greg berlanti is the one who created all of these shows and act and like really created this incredible shared universe between them and fostered that and he has very progressive values he really has he populates his shows with a really diverse group of people putting them front and center we're getting to see brown and black and and asian and american people in like in superhero roles we're getting to see queer people and trans people in superhero roles we're getting these stories like this one right which is about like fighting nazis and it came Mm -hmm. out the year after trump was elected it's not a mistake right like this is all part of the message that they're selling having you know the green arrow as like socialist vigilante would be perfect for that Mm -hmm. universe right but i think ultimately that wasn't what they initially were willing to do right and once they had the clout to do it i think they were just kind of locked into Stephen amell and mm-hmm. you know i think that Stephen amell can be effective in this role uh but i think he's limited in what he can do yeah. <laughs> and i don't know if he had the range to pull off what he would have needed to if he was going to be a more political character it, it's so ironic where you've got arguably the most progressive hero the most politically progressive hero in the dc universe and on these shows his show is the least progressive of them (laughs) yeah yeah i mean there is the class warfare thing which is baked into it from the beginning but it's Mm -hmm. definitely more you know it's 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 two levels removed so that way they could protect themselves and from any criticism of like making it political in a way that like none of these other shows do like there's a whole season of supergirl all about totalitarianism and fascism rising and stuff there's a whole season on on the flash about like you know uh subjugating 
different types of people mm. just because of like aspects of who they are. Like this is a thing that like these shows really care about. And yet on Arrow, they just, you know, whenever they try it, like with that like gun control episode, for instance, mm. it's just like, guys, what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. you just can't pull this off. Uh, okay. So let's jump into um, crisis on earth X. So um, this was, I think this was the the second really big crossover because when Flash came out, they had started doing you know crossovers between just the two of them. So they had that they had like I think they and then they brought in Legends in one of the crossovers, and then when they brought in Supergirl, that's what really started like what I call the event crossover. So you had Invasion yeah. was the first one, and then uh, this was Elseworlds before this. Is this? The one after. No, Elseworlds weirdly comes after. You think in the okay, way that it's okay. scaling up that Elseworlds would have come first and then this, but that's not how it goes. They actually, because they use Elseworlds as a little bit of a downbeat crossover to set up Crisis mm-hmm. the next year, right? So this actually comes before all of that. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so this the trajectory like- is the trajectory is super interesting because in the first, when Flash first came out, the team behind the two shows really thought that they would be able to inter- they would be able to cross over characters all the time and they were like we'll have these casts just constantly shuttling back and forth Vancouver and into each other's plots and it's going to be great and they realized very quickly that like the the realistic demands of a production like a tv production make that like impossible and so mm-hmm. they very quickly gave up on that idea and in the first season of the flash they had one week where there was a big crossover where the flash came to arrow and then arrow came to the flash but they were completely separate episodes mm-hmm. and then the next year which would be the second year of the flash and i guess the fourth season of arrow uh, yeah, that's when so. they did okay we're going to use a crossover to launch legends of tomorrow and right. so they had a big two-part crossover event that kind of sets up the legends of tomorrow team which then was also kind of like a backdoor pilot for that show and then that show starts the following year and then you get Supergirl involved with the invasion storyline, which was mm-hmm. always funny because they said like, oh, Supergirl is going to be on it. And they told us that the miniseries was going to start with Supergirl. And then you just have a full normal episode of Supergirl. And then in the very last yeah. minute of Supergirl, Barry and Cisco pop out of a bubble and is like, Supergirl, we need your help. <laughs> so mm-hmm. and everyone was mad. But um, but it's a fun miniseries outside of that. And then you get here with Crisis yeah. on Earth X. Yeah. So even though this is the fourth crossover event, this is like the first first really true crossover event with all this all the series coming into it yeah we're all Um, four active shows we're fully involved from the for all four episodes and you had main characters from each of the shows and they were telling one coherent story from episode one to episode four Mm -hmm. yeah so um so yeah this is the first big one and this is it brings in the uh the earth x which is basically the Nazi earth in, um, Mm -hmm. in the multiverse. And they, they come in and they invade during, uh, Barry and Iris's wedding. And, um, before we jump too much into it, uh, what did you think of the, the crossover, the movie at the time when it came out and how's your opinion on it? Rewatching it overall. So I, I mean, I was so excited for this when it was airing originally. I was like, I can't wait for the first episode and like every episode that came out afterwards, I was like glued to my TV right away watching it. So I really was excited by it. And I thought for the most part, it did a really good job of meeting those expectations. Uh, I remember feeling like maybe it got a little slow in the middle. Maybe there were some choices that I didn't necessarily love, but overall, totally exactly what I wanted from the crossovers. 
rewatching it now just this past week, uh, I was really surprised by how effective it holds up. It really, right. you know, I picked this because I felt like this to me felt like a high watermark, like I said, of the whole project, right? And watching it, I was worried, like, well, maybe that's just kind of like nostalgic goggles, you know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it's really well built. You know, they're really smart about the character pairings that they do, that they use. They really take the time. There's really good pacing across the the four episodes where they are willing to use the whole first episode basically to set up all the character dynamics, which is impressive. You know, there's that big fight scene at the end, but outside of that, it's all just you know putting in the time to invest in the characters and the relationships. So that way the next few seasons, the next few episodes will pay off in a way that works. And I was really impressed by the patience of that and the willingness to really commit to the project. And yeah, they, they did a really nice balance of, of the character pairings and the, and keeping a coherent set of storylines that we could track across the four episodes that all have satisfying conclusions. So yeah, I was really impressed. I really enjoyed it. I will say I was surprised to find that I definitely liked this a lot more than Crisis on Infinite Earths, which I also liked at the time, but I think this is much better done than that. I'd have to come back to you on that because it's been a while since I've seen uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, In fact, I actually don't think I've seen it since we did the episode on it. So I do have to go back and rewatch that all the way through to, but my memory of Crisis on Infinite Earths, at least at the moment, is that I still prefer it, and maybe that's just the the comic fan in me because I love all the the multiverse stuff in it and the fact that we actually mm-hmm. got to have two different Supermen on it. So, um, so sure. I think I, my my opinion is probably definitely colored by those things. Uh, but and this one, yeah, you're right. I agree. I loved it at the time, and it still holds up for the most part. There are some little stickling points here and there, and and these are just minor things like going through wedding planning myself right now, I thought it was so funny that the day before the wedding, they're like, oh yeah, we're going to go to the wedding. We forgot to RSVP. We're going to check the card now. I'm just like, that. that's not how it works. I'm like, if... No, yeah. You can't imagine... If you haven't RSVP'd, you can't send the card back the day before the wedding. Pick up the phone at the very least. I know. That that made me laugh too. (laughs) Uh, Also, some of the pairings at the weddings were weird because you have... I, I love um, Mick's line when he comes in to the wedding. He's like, well, I've tried to kill the groom a few times, so I guess I'll sit on the bride side. And he goes sit on the bride <laughs> side. But you've got, like, Captain Singh on the bride side, which seems more like he should be on Barry's side because he's his boss. Yeah. Even though I know there's the Joe uh, connection. Joe's, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's Joe's friend before he's Barry's boss. So I think that's probably why he's there. Okay, yeah. It, it, but it, that was and kind also, of like, Iris doesn't about. get to have any friends on the yeah. show. So, like, who else is going to be there? <laughs> And which know, is they, really telling. Which, one guy from the newspaper, and he died. So, you know, mm-hmm. after that, what are we going to do? <laughs> and it's really telling because when they're doing the bridal stuff, and, and it's like all her friends are just very superhero female friends. Yes, who, like, she maybe shared, like, three scenes with in the mm-hmm. past. Like, she's definitely not best friends with these people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so that, that was kind of funny. Um, what did you think of that way of introducing everybody by doing the kind of like you get the cold open, right, where, you know, we see the who we don't know who it is yet, but you can reasonably assume it's like evil Oliver, right, mm-hmm. killing uh, <laughs> poor Jimmy. Uh, and he gets and then you and then you cut to all of the different teams basically checking in on the wedding stuff right and you get to see all of their powers and you get to see like a little bit of their dynamics in their own little in their own little bubbles Mm -hmm. as a way to kind of be like and now we're all gonna get together what did you think about that did you think that was fun or what 
it was fun. Like, you know, last minute wedding. Well, we have to go to the wedding tomorrow. That, that, that's that, that contrivedness aside, it was a fun way to very quickly introduce you to all these, all the main players who are going to be involved in this. So yeah, I thought that was done very well. Um, uh, although I did find the, the idea of, it's almost like they're trying to keep dark arrow and Overgirl's identities a secret in a little bit. Cause they're like, we're not showing their faces. I'm just like, come on, who else could it be? Yeah. I, for, for me, I feel like that I had the same exact reaction, but there, but I have two things that made it a little bit better. One mm-hmm. is like, these shows are also for kids, right? Yeah. Like they're made yeah. for kids and for grownups. And I think kids would probably be surprised by that reveal, right? Cause it's not even in their head, you know? Um, although the super, I mean, she literally looks exactly like Supergirl, just with a mask on and she's mm-hmm. floating. So that's, and that's she's a got pretty the big same goal. exact hair. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But the other thing I think helps is that when you do get the final reveal at the end of episode one, that, oh, they take their mask off and it's mm-hmm. the evil doppelgangers, you also get the reveal that the reverse flash is there. And he's, yeah. and, he, and that is something that we didn't, it wasn't on the table up until that moment. So that, so then you get a fun reveal anyway, even if you think the, the reveal that they're setting you up for is like something that you were way ahead of them on they still like surprise you which i think is fun and you know on that note too i love that the two versions of tom cavanaugh we get in this are the reverse flash and the earth Two harry because those were my favorite iterations that he played on on those shows like when he got into some of the other ones like the 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 french detective and all that and all that kind of i'm just like mission yeah. with that stuff but but like these yeah, two I mean, this like, is a solid stuff especially harry's interactions with cisco i love that stuff yes i wrote that down too in my notes i was like man this is i this is so fun i really this is the sort of thing that current day flash is just really missing mm-hmm. is just the two of them really fun like in the pocket bickering in a way that's really funny and like moving the plot along but also having fun and and like they hate each other but they love each other like it's just like it's just fun and there's just like nothing like that on the show right now it's all just like super overlit and like everybody is angsty and and like nobody talks to each other and it's just like where's the, you know there's no camaraderie to this team and and in this show so quickly you get so much camaraderie right you get so much chemistry bouncing off each other it's really fun it reminded me of what i loved about these shows it also reminded me of how much i liked the the not so much the episodes they were doing at the time but this team of legends like you know when you had when you had you know white canary and and firestorm and and steel and the atom and and isis and vixen and all of and, and you know but also you know we also had the reunion between um between Mick and and Captain Cold, who's you know Citizen Cold in this, the Earth X version, made me miss. Yeah. How, maybe remember how much I missed those two interacting too, and how much how much that show really lost once they. Uh, what was Wentworth Miller? I think is his name. Yeah, Wentworth Miller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How much he, he, that he show really came lost. back a bunch yeah. of times. <laughs> yeah, but it was just in these short appearances. Every time he came back, and uh-huh. I'm just like, oh man, I wish he would stay around this time. And it made me realize yeah. how much I missed seeing him as Captain Cold on these shows because he was one of the perfect castings on this on the on these shows. Well, because he is just so Wentworth Miller is so talented at being incredibly campy mm-hmm. and yet sliding that real actual pathos underneath it, so that way you're actually there's something there, right? Like these shows sometimes leaned into campy in a way that was maybe not always the best, and it just felt kind of like too sugary sweet. Mm-hmm. But what he was so good at is it's. Like, there's no doubt about it. He is giving very campy, over-the-top diet, like, line readings. But at but underneath it is this 
kernel of like a real person that is like broken and wounded and you actually care about and that's just really hard to pull off and it's a it was a loss when he lost when you lost that for the flash mm-hmm. and it was a loss when you lost it for legends yeah and also just like the way he delivers those lines too not only the the pathos thing you mentioned but he's got this almost slightly snarky delivery of I, I don't even know how to describe it but it's just you know you He's see it you know talking. in a way yeah, that's yeah. just so perfect it's so it great i love him so much. and i love that they let him be gay in the in the mm-hmm. crossover that was really fun because the cat the actor is uh, is gay in real life and oh, that was really? that was nice that. to see yeah yeah and i mean he plays the character in a way that is consistent with that i with that uh <laughs> sexual orientation from the beginning i could say as a as a gay person mm-hmm. myself um i felt seen from the beginning so it was nice to get to like make the subtext text you know finally mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so all that stuff i loved i god the firestorm stuff i you know i was really disappointed when they had um we found out that Robbie Amell wasn't coming back and they had killed off uh, Ronnie Raymond. And so then when they brought in um, Jefferson Jax at first, I wasn't as invested in him, but in, in legends, I actually kind of grew to really like what they were doing in that. And I miss having those two on that show too. Like that was, that was another interaction. Then when we see ISIS and Vixen and, and to a lesser extent, steel and in the, in the legends episode, I'm like, Oh God, I remember this. This was like when legends was again, it wasn't the best. It was never the best series, but this was one of those periods when I was far more invested in it. And, and over time, how long did you stick with that show? I stick with it till the end. No. Um, what was the last season? Was that five? No, I believe they went six seasons. Six. So I think could be wrong. I think I I lasted to four and part of five and i and i haven't i never i just haven't been able to get back into it just like with the last season of supergirl i just haven't found much of a need to um and i i do want to see at least the last episode of it because i love donald Faison and i heard he's amazing as booster gold in the final episode but well whoever told you that is overstating it he's in literally one scene Oh, okay. <laughs> so I would not watch the final episode for him. It's literally one scene, and it's like the cliffhanger scene of the. So he's uh, I, okay. He can't be in it for more than forty-five seconds. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Um, I would recommend the final season of the show because I think that that was it. Like this, like Legends. Not to go on a huge tangent, but you're right that this team was a really functional team, and then it slowly just completely imploded, right? Mm-hmm. And they and it took them a few years to kind of rebuild the show. But when in that final season, I think they found a really great balance of characters and relationships that were really great and matched the new tone that they were going for mm-hmm. in a way that worked. And something that I think was very effective, and it was mostly because of budget reasons, but I think they made the most of it for the story, is they were, for the most of the, that season, they're stuck in one time period in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's like they, they at the end of the, the season before, their time ship blows up. And so the whole quest of that season is to kind of like create a new time machine before like they get found out as time travelers basically. Mm. And so they're stuck in one place for a full season and they get to have an arc throughout that. And it really helps like make you feel much more invested in the relationships and the dynamics and everything else mm-hmm. instead of the sort of constant like every single episode we need to be in a new place in a new time and like try to you know that sort of episodic thing mm-hmm. I think could sometimes get a little tiring and results definitely varied. But I really liked that last season. Of, okay. Of I'll, Legends. Have to, I'll have to give it a try then. Um, one of the things too, I always felt like was a missed opportunity, especially after earth X and, and crisis on infinite earths is 
I mean, I think one of the things that would have made, and this is again, just the, the sci-fi comic geek in me, I think I would have liked it a lot more if it was more like, if it was more like sliders where it's instead of going to different time periods, they're going to different multiverses. I think I would have enjoyed that a lot more. I think that would have been a lot more of a creative use of those characters and what they could do. Yeah. I think that they weren't allowed to do that because the flash, when the legends of tomorrow was happening, the flash was all in on multiverse mm-hmm. stuff. And I think that they were just like, they seeded that storytelling to the flash show. That you makes know, sense. In the same way that like the, like in the same way that they kind of seeded aliens to Supergirl, right? Mm-hmm. Supergirl got to be the alien show. Flash was the multiverse show. Arrow was the crime show. Legends was the time traveling show, you know? The time traveling, we're just throwing anything at the wall and see what sticks. Show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And then, and yeah. yeah, and Black Lightning kind of became very heavy on the social commentary stuff, even, even Absolutely. more so than some of the others. In, in a very effective, yeah. in a very yeah. effective way. Yeah, I, I gotta. That's another one I have to catch up on because I've only seen I think the f- first two seasons of that. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a I show think. that is just so hampered by the by the budget. Like it's at a certain point, it's so clear that they mm-hmm. were just like that their budget was slashed, and like the writers are really trying to make the most of it, and the actors are doing a great job, and every other action scene is just in like a sci-fi hallway that looks mm-hmm. exactly the same, where you don't know where <laughs> the ceiling or the floor is. You're just like, what is happening? <laughs> so it's like that just was rough. But it, everybody was trying their best. It is kind of interesting too because. That was almost like a proto Superman and Lois in a way, because that was it, mm-hmm. at least the, that first season. It had felt like it had like a much more serious, more mature degree of storytelling in it, and it wasn't really yeah. connected to the Arrowverse stuff. Really, until Crisis on Infinite Earths, that's the first time they actually connected them. And up until that point, mm-hmm. they're just kind of like, well, it's it's kind of connected, and they were kind of doing the same thing with Superman and Lois at the beginning, where they're like, e- Diggle's here, and you know, it's kind of connected. And then once they get to the end of the second season they're like no it's not part of the arrowverse it's a different earth yeah yeah it's true and unlike all of the other shows black lightning black lightning was actually filmed in atlanta instead of in mm-hmm. vancouver and i think that also made for a lot more complications over time because they couldn't just like rely on the same six location shots that all of the shows get to go mm-hmm. on you know yeah. there's like one building that it, on all of the shows that like on supergirl it's a corporate office and on the flash it's a museum and it's, you know narrow it's it's a bank mm-hmm. you're just like i know that building i've seen it six times <laughs> so they couldn't they couldn't capitalize on that on on black lightning because they were just in atlanta so i think right. that they got that made the budget cutting a lot more obvious over time mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, so another thing that I really liked in um, this uh, this show as well was in Christ on Earth X was the um, the the one night stand between uh, Alex and, and and Sarah and how they handled that. I thought that was, you know, uh, talking about how progressive this show is when, you know, Alex is, you know, mortified of the fact she had a drunken one night stand and Cara and Cara is just like, you had fun. So what? Who cares? And I love that they completely didn't go into the they went the opposite of the slut shaming route that usually happens in those types of moments. Yeah. And well, I, so I fully agree with you, but I'll take it one step further in saying that not only do they do everything that you said, but then they also like take the time to allow Alex's reaction to be more complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. She has that initial negative response of like, Oh no, I'm not this person who just sleeps around. And then car. And like you say, Kara is just like, well, that's it's, you had fun. It's fine. That's it's, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be so like judgmental of yours. Don't be so hard on yourself. And then you realize like, no, what she's actually freaking out about isn't the one night stand. It's that like what the one night stand signifies to 
her, which is like the fact that she is no longer with Maggie, the person who she loves so Mm -hmm. much that she gave up because Maggie didn't want to have kids. And instead, she's thinking, is this what the rest of my life is going to be? Just a series of empty sexual encounters. And it's like, oh, that's actually really strong writing and very great kind of way to maximize just the characters that you have on screen. And there's no reason that this show needed to have that as a subplot, but it's so much better off for it. Right. Also, and you know, I mentioned the Firestorm stuff too. I really enjoyed the the stuff between uh, Jax and, and Stein in this, and that whole push and pull that they were have they're going through. And you know what? It's funny. I've seen this twice now since I got it, and you know, once like I think like maybe last year when I picked it up, and then and then last night for for this episode. Both times, I forgot that this was when Martin dies at the end, and mm-hmm. and and both times it kills me. Both times because you know he's especially because you know I lost my father a few years ago, so this is still very fresh in my mind. And I've I'm a father now myself, so all of that stuff was really ringing true to me. Like when he's talking about how you know he's going to retire, he's going to you know he's going to work on a project with his daughter, he's going to teach his grandson all about tell his grandson all about the stories of his adventures and all this. And then you have Jack's, you know, struggling over the fact that at first it seems like, you know, he likes being a superhero, but no, it's really that he's kind of losing his dad again uh, for a second time. Yeah. And all of that stuff I thought was handled very well. Yeah. And they gave it the space to breathe, right? They, mm-hmm. you knew as soon as they introduced it, where that story was going, maybe not the point where he dies. If you don't remember that, that's the conclusion of it, but at least the idea of like, okay, there's going to be tension. They're going to finally talk about it. It'll get resolved. They'll also, they love each other and they'll be able to move past it, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a very easily accessible story, but they give that story the space that it needs to really feel rooted in these specific characters in a way that is really impactful. Like I think that the actors, Victor Garber, who plays Stein, who's, you know, an absolute legend on Mm -hmm. Broadway and on film, uh, who is way overqualified. And I can't believe he was on that show for as long as he was. Um, And Fran's uh, drama, who plays, who plays Jacks, uh, they they made me cry at the end of this when in those in that final death scene, like it made me cry, and I was not expecting to cry because I remembered that he died, and I mm-hmm. these were not characters that I inherently felt connected to, but they they play the drama of it and the emotion of it so real and so raw, and they get the space in the episode to really take that time to do that, and it really really was effective. Yeah, yeah, I mean he Victor Garber he was he was amazing in, in this series and just like this entire run from being on the Flash and then onto Legends, and he was. Him and Brandon Routh, I think, were my favorite parts of Legends in those early days. And so mm-hmm. when he when he went off, I think that was that was the first domino to fall for me with Legends, because um, I felt sure. like it really lost something special when when he was gone. Um, yeah, it's a big hole, and that mm-hmm. show really doesn't fill it until they bring Matt Ryan in as Constantine, yes. yeah. and then and that's and now it's like he's this source of information in a different way that is that functions differently. But I feel like that was it wasn't until then that that hole that he left really was filled. One hundred percent agree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are some other things that you liked about this crossover? So I, one of the things I wanted to bring up was just the fact that, and I said this a little earlier, is that they give us basically like six plot lines to follow throughout the whole show outside of the Nazi invasion stuff, which I thought was so smart because it really is kind of saying like, okay, we have all these characters on the table. How do we 
create an actual story for our audience to follow instead of just being like, wow, all these characters, you know, here they are. Here's like, you know, and here's like, you know, Easter eggs and and inside jokes and this and the other thing. Like, it's like, no, we actually need stories to tell about these characters. And how do we maximize Mm -hmm. the interesting dynamic of the fact that all of these people aren't usually together. And so the one would be the firestorm breaking up storyline that we've already talked about. The other is the Alex and Kara and, and Sarah, uh, like kind of trio of, mm-hmm. of, uh, characters bouncing off each other. And that one I think is maybe the most interesting because it really evolves. Like it starts out where we started, where it's like, Oh, of course, Alex and Sarah, they're so similar in so many ways they would be drawn to each other and, right. and they would have this connection romantically. And then that's, that's a fun thing to play off of. And, you know, it kind of informs the romantic troubles that Alex and Kara are both having in different ways. And then Kara becomes like the source of, of, of tension because Kara is, is in danger. And now Alex and Sarah, can really bond in a real way mm-hmm. over that shared love of a sister in, in danger. And I thought that that all was really well executed. And then there's the kind of uh, like, you know, the elicity marriage kind of subplot, which I think we'll probably be able to talk to. Yeah, more. I've got I think some that things to say about that. <laughs> I have a feeling you do. Uh, <laughs> and then there's also like just there's a and then there's like Barry and, and, and Thawne uh, fighting again, which is kind of like you know, okay, I guess we're doing this again. Um, but they at least take it seriously enough to help the audience. If you're not watching the flash, know why he would be upset about this, which was good, I guess. Um, and then the thing that I think was like a really fun runner throughout the whole four episodes was Rory and Caitlin frost Mm -hmm. dynamic, where it's just like, it's mostly just for fun, but it's really fun to be like, Oh, let's have the kind of curmudgeonly fire guy with the like young girl who, shoots ice from her hands and have them bounce off of each other for comedic effect throughout the whole thing. And it works out well. So by the end, they're like kind of fighting together and it's, it's fun. So I really liked that. Those were kind of the pairings Mm -hmm. that we were really focusing on and everything else is just kind of operating around that and orbiting it in a way that was really effective. Yeah. I I agree with that too, especially, I think this is one of the best ways that they handled Mick, like the way he plays off different characters here. And I think this is one of the the best uses of him. He's, he's at his best in this kind of million he gets a million one-liners in this, and mm-hmm. it's like a really high hit ratio, honestly. Yes, it's yeah. really impressive how many actually land. Maybe like the highest of his run, I think, in this one. In this yeah, one I agree. Movie. I mean, it's he's just, yeah. he's on, you know, pun intended, he's on fire in, in all these scenes here. Uh, and it, it, yes. it's funny because fairly recently we had, I had done an episode on uh, Blade Trinity where he played the villain in that, and it's just like, God, he was so terrible in that. And then going back and seeing this, I'm like, this is his sweet spot. This is where he belongs. Yeah, because he can hit that similar to his, you know, partner on screen, Wentworth mm-hmm. Miller. Dominic Purcell can really hit that kind of campy, silly, tough guy yeah. act just perfectly. And in a way, we're like, if you transpose that into a serious story i don't know if that would work necessarily very well but here it's like it's just pitch perfect if you've never seen blade trinity trust me it doesn't work (laughs) i mean well everyone in the world has told me not to watch blade trinity so i have tried to avoid it (laughs) they were right they were right it's just an awful movie um it's just to give you what are some things that spoke oh okay sorry go ahead i was gonna gonna say i'm like just to give you an example of how terrible it is you've got Jessica Beale listening to her iPod as she fights vampires and so as an excuse to sure. have an iPod product placement. It's just like <laughs> places it in a in a real moment in time at the yeah. very least. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Sorry, you were gonna say something? <laughs> no, I was just gonna ask what are some things that you really liked about that 
or at least what are some things out of the ones that I spotlight that worked for you? Um, all of those worked for me a lot. I mean, we'll talk about the Olicity thing in a minute. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, know, I also just, I'm a sucker for multiverse stuff. So I love seeing different characters. I love seeing the characters we know in different roles. So this whole idea of, you know, the Dark Arrow and, and Overgirl, these twisted versions of Oliver and, and Kara. I love seeing that. Um, I love seeing Tommy Merlin come back too. That was another, that was an example of if you're going to do this reveal where you reveal a character, we know this is the way you should do it. Right. Like, but they're doing dark arrow and overgirl. It's like, we know it's, it's the, the Nazi versions of Ollie and Supergirl. Come on. How stupid do you think we are? But when we get to Prometheus, it's like, Oh, Oh, okay. That's not the Prometheus. We know that's Tommy Merlin. I think that's a better way to do it is when you when you pull the rug out from under people like that, which I guess maybe partly the way that works is because you had the obvious Ollie and, and Kara reveals. But um, so I'm kind of arguing against myself that. But I did. I liked seeing him back again. Um, and just, you know, I I love watching Nazis get the shit beat out of them, too. I mean, that's just sure. you know, yeah. any anytime <laughs> you anytime you can fuck up Nazis, I'm there for it. I don't care what the story is. I'm I'm there for it. Yeah, I mean, sadly, that's a more controversial take than it was a few years ago. But I would definitely agree with you on that. Well, even um, back then, it was I would say is even back then, people I, were like, like, like there people were getting up in arms about it. I'm like, they're fucking Nazis. Of course, you're going to punch them. Yes. Yeah. And this is in some ways a direct response to that, mm-hmm. right? After yeah. the kind of the 2016 turbulence and like, it's very, this, this was in the fall of 2017. And that is like, it's, you just never forget that that's the case because it's so, when you remember that you're like, oh, right. Like this is really responding to something in the culture as well. Like this kind of feeling of like, we need to stand up for the diversity of our of our universe that we created on this like silly superhero thing but mm-hmm. as a metaphor for as like our actual world and i think that they really the creative team did that on purpose um from a political angle and i think that they kind of they don't shy away from the fact that these are actually nazis like sometimes in genre stuff they like people throw out nazis just as a shorthand for like silly evil villains mm-hmm. and they don't really want to dig into like what it means that they're actually nazis but this show this this miniseries actually really gets into it yes. in a way that i i was surprised rewatching it i had forgotten a little bit that they really go into like oh yeah there's people in camps, right, who are going to be killed, who are gay and who are Jewish and stuff like that. And there's like that scene of the Felicity on Earth X, um, who is in an, in a prison camp. And then later, you know, you get the our Felicity brings up the fact that like her parents survived the Holocaust as as Jewish mm-hmm. uh, Europeans, and like that's like that's all part of it. They're not running away from that. They weren't just like, Oh, it'd be cool if it was Nazis, but like, let's not get too political about it. It's mm-hmm. which is, I think, unfortunately what some of these stories end up being like, and that's like, no, if you're going to tell a story about Nazis own the facts, own why they're evil, not just like as a shorthand for evil, you know? Agreed. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I, was, I will make I, one argument against sorry, what ahead. you were going to say. So I think that the Tommy Oliver thing, it, or sorry, not Tommy Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy and Oliver. Tommy Oliver. Different uh, superhero universe. Uh, but no, the Tommy Merlin thing, I think, didn't work as well for me. I had forgotten that that was happening. And when it happened, I was like, oh, that's cool. He's in this. And then like he just immediately get, kills himself. And it's like, well, that's boring. I think that what you're talking about is actually much better rendered later on mm-hmm. in part three when Quentin Lance appears and he mm-hmm. is a general 
of the Nazis. And you see this person who is you've like, if you've watched these shows, you've come to love and care about, and you're so invested in his complicated relationships with his family and, and getting and seeing this twisted evil version of him Mm -hmm. who's willing to kill these people who look like his family. You know, that I think was really, really affecting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing too, is you'd mentioned uh, the, the Barry and, and Thawne stuff. Yeah, it it does kind of feel like a retread of what we've had before. It doesn't really bring anything new there. But at the same time, I just love Kavanaugh so much. (laughs) So any excuse to bring him back, I'm on board for that. Um, And, you know, he's just again, he's he's at he's one of the watching him back in that role was was, because I I I can't remember who they had playing him when he when Reverse Flash came back on Legends. But the original Reverse Flash before he had taken on. uh, Wells' appearance, but I just so mm-hmm. prefer Tom Cavanaugh in that role. He's just, he's just his his performance is just dripping with like sinister humor, and, and it's just like I love him in that role. Yeah, I fully agree. I think he's excellent. I think he's excellent in many roles on The Flash. Mm-hmm. I think the two that you you uh, highlighted earlier are, are his two best roles. I think he pulls off some of the other roles much better than you would expect. Like the kind of the, the, um, the Harrison Wells from the earth where he isn't actually very smart, I think also is a completely different character for him to play. And I think he also does a really good job with that. And it suddenly like it reconstitutes the whole chemistry of the team in that season in a way that really works. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of just goes off the deep end when they were like, well, we need another Harrison Wells. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he's French. Like, what? like come on, guys. That was, yeah. <laughs> so that, You're right. That, that yeah, version that like I did like. Point. I did like that version of him. Um, I can't remember what, yeah. which one he was called. But anyway, um, I think they just called him. They called him HR. HR. That was it. Yeah, 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 yeah. He took a while for me to warm up to, but I did warm up to him a little bit towards the end. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah, I think that the performance to, like, was strong the throughout. One. The writing wasn't always Absolutely, strong yeah. for that one. Um, but also what kind of surprised me too, is just, you know, how many people who we only get in very small parts, like we just see, you know, you mentioned Wally before he's got like no part in this. He just appears. I I forgot he was in this until I saw him at the, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. Wally was in this and then he's gone. And then, um, and Diggle doesn't come in until the, the last episode and, and, and Mm -hmm. we'll we'll talk about that. Um, so yeah, those were kind of disappointing because, I think that Diggle wasn't involved because I think they used that actor and that character in the, because the way that they would do these crossovers is basically they would, they would find a way to mostly write out some of the main characters in the Mm. episode or two before or after. So that way for production reasons, like an episode of Arrow was able to be still be in production while they were filming other, like the crossover stuff. And so I'm pretty sure they did that with Diggle a couple of times. I think like he has his like suicide uh, squad like arcs mm-hmm. that would be completely separate from from Oliver and I think that that's why Diggle wasn't really involved in it mm-hmm. but yeah it's 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 funny when you're like oh right there the, I think the thing that's good about that is that there's so much going on and there's so many characters to track and you're and they're investing you in those specific character stories that you almost don't mind and mm-hmm. you maybe even don't even realize at first that these other characters that are important to these universe to this universe isn't really around at all for a mm-hmm. while yeah yeah um another thing you know what uh and this is not so much a criticism of this but one of the things i liked about invasion when they did that is how each episode of it that was was still kind of catered to the that specific show that it was in. So 
when you had the Arrow episode, it was all focused on that that dream sequence when Ollie and Sarah didn't become vigilantes. And so that was kind of a nice way to make it feel like an Arrow episode. There's a little bit less of of that in this, which works when it's an overall, when you're watching it as a full movie, but as those individual episodes, um, it doesn't actually, it doesn't really so much feel like part of those, uh, necessarily part of those shows. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm curious how you feel, but for me, I think that I would prefer the way that this miniseries handles it versus the way that Invasion handles it, because it feels less distracting to me that like, like I can more easily buy in, I should say mm-hmm. that these are the group of characters that are on this mission together and the other people aren't around and that's okay. You know, whereas it's like, Oh, all of a sudden it's the arrow episode. So all of team arrow shows up and helps out. And then mm-hmm. they all go away after. <laughs> and you're just like, wait, what? Like why? Oh, because this was the arrow episode. So mm-hmm. they get to have more of a supporting cast. And it's like, that is a little bit of a distraction for me, but I can see what you're saying in terms of like you're you're losing a lot of what makes that mm-hmm. show special if you do it the other way. Yeah, I'm of two minds of it. Like on the one hand, I I do like that this feels like a more cohesive movie when you watch it in isolation. On the other hand, too, um, there's something to be said. I think there's a I think there's a middle ground that need that you could find with that, and I don't think either version really quite kind of nailed it. I think the better way to handle these crossovers though is instead of and I think Crisis on Infinite Earths kind of did this, right? Instead of saying, you know, oh, it's Supergirl and it's Flash. Instead, it was just like, this is Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1. This is Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 2. And I think where it's kind of like a mini, it's it's billed as a mini series within these shows is kind of a better yeah, way Yeah, well, Crisis it. on Earth X did that as well. Oh, they did? That okay. is how it was packaged. Yeah, and if you look on like Netflix, like if you go to Arrow, it'll say Crisis on, on Earth X Part 2, like okay. when it's the Arrow episode, you know? Okay, I was thrown off on that then because um, on the on the DVD I have, they have the episode title cards right before, so that definitely threw me uh, off. Ah, okay. Yeah, and like for when you watch it, like if you just watch it on streaming now, like the you don't get the introduction to each episode mm-hmm. with each TV show's like opening intro. You just get the kind of basically the MCU ripoff, Marvel right. Studios ripoff of of Crisis on Earth X with all of the characters like flashing through the through the words. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like some of the little Easter eggs they had in here. So you know, there's that line when. Um, when Kara tells Thawne that my cousin will come, will come for me. And the mm-hmm. person who rescues her is actually the Adam Brandon Routh. So, which is a callback to invasion yeah. when, you know, because he played Superman years ago. And then in invasion, um, you have this line at the end when uh, Ray Palmer says about Kara, you know, she kind of reminds me of my cousin. Uh-huh. So there was that nice little callback yeah, to the fact that he, he's a Superman himself. Um, and then that's a, that's a fun moment. Yeah. And then also when um, I love the line, reiterating the line from superman 2 the one good thing that they had in the lesser cut of superman 2 was when superman goes to the daily planet and calls out zod and says general would you care to step outside having supergirl do that here i love that too yeah that's nice that's the deep pull i didn't even realize that that's awesome uh a kind of i i picked out a different one where they kind of mention um they're talking about, I believe this is like Oliver talking, evil Oliver talking about like how upset he is over what's going on. And he mentions like, I will blow that place to kingdom come. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, kingdom come. Right. Because they're like evil superheroes. Like mm-hmm. that's a nice little pull. Um, but I think the best little Easter egg is the one that's a Easter egg pitched towards the future, which is that at, you know, the West Allen wedding, uh, Nora West Allen 
time traveler yeah, yeah. makes her debut appearance uh checking in on um her parents wedding before we even know who she is and they make a point to be like hmm who are you mm-hmm. she's like i'm a totally normal person don't worry about it and like you never and then you don't see her again for the entire rest of that season and then she of course in the next season is revealed to be barry and iris's you know time displaced daughter and it's a huge part of the show moving forward and i just like that's really cool that they called their shot that early and they're like mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna do this next year so we're gonna go through the trouble of casting that character now and just placing her here for the future. I thought that was really cool. That was something else because didn't that first episode, it was Supergirl, right? That first episode, which is, yeah. Yeah. Which, is, was, which is kind of goes back technically to, a Supergirl episode. <laughs> kind of goes back to that point I was saying where you've got this, this element that is so tied into the flash TV series, but it's not even happening on the flash episode. Um, right. Well, I mean, the first Barry and Iris wedding happens on Supergirl, and the second Barry and Iris wedding happens on Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs> so yeah. it's, that is that is a funny thing about the way this worked out. So let's let's talk about that wedding then, because um, sure, I understand. <laughs> I eventually. Yeah, I understand <laughs> wanting to close that wanting to close that circle of Barry and I was being able to to get married, and finally it's just like let's just do it quickly before something else happens. And I get that part, and you know yeah but this is also where it feels like oh shit we need someone to perform the wedding let's bring in john real quick it feels like a bit of a contrivance i can almost forgive that though but then when you have ollie and felicity horning in on their wedding as well that's when it pushes it too far for me and like i'm not i i agree i know i know the the olicity stuff has been debated to death and i'm not gonna hate on it too much like it's it is what it is. I'm not a fan of it, but I don't, I'm not, I also don't get as incensed about it as some people on Twitter do. So like, I never really, I just never really cared one way or the other. It became too much, a bit too much of the focus in the show. I do agree with that, but, but it's not something that I was, you know, getting furious about either. Uh, no, I mean, you know, some some fans on Reddit need to calm oh, God, down yeah, with that yeah, stuff, absolutely. in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> I liked them as a couple. I always liked them as a couple. I thought that it was smart that they pivoted away from their plans and, like, leaned into the chemistry between mm-hmm. the actors. Because I feel like, you know, Stephen Amell is a very particular kind of performer, like I mentioned earlier. And I think that when he's in scenes with Emily uh, Beck Richards, like, there's a pop to those scenes mm-hmm. that aren't always present in other places, right? It's similar yeah. to when he's in scenes with Grant Gustin. He's just such a stronger performer when he's in a scene with Grant Gustin. Mm-hmm. He, Grant really brings out the best in him. So I'm glad that they leaned into it. I think that the if we're talking about Arrow, uh, the writers often didn't know how to turn their relationship into story. Yes. And so they threw in a lot of really contrived bullshit as mm-hmm. a way to break them up and pull them, bring them back together. And, and it just was not, it did not service those characters well. But I put that on the writing and not necessarily on their relationship right but i feel like this is kind of a good microcosm of that because like the idea of like oh no barry like uh, (laughs) oliver proposes to felicity at the rehearsal dinner and then she rejects him and then there's tension between them for a few episodes where they're like deciding do we actually want to get married i don't know if i want to even though before i did but now i don't think i do okay let's get married it's so contrived and it's Mm -hmm. so clearly like well we need some emotional like story for these two to have during this miniseries so let's have it be this and it doesn't feel natural and it doesn't doesn't, feel earned and it makes that resolution feel even ruder (laughs) as results it also feels it it feels so tacked on because it happens like right after it happened because you've got the whole thing with some of this because you know you have you have the whole thing with um martin stein's death too and his funeral there and 
it's like that almost feels like that should be the end of the of the movie but mm-hmm. then they have to but then they have but then they i don't know what was happening in the writing but it's like someone said like we have to have we have to resolve the Barry and Iris wedding and also the Oliver and Felicity fight over whether would they should they would they should they not wedding thing and we have to find a way to resolve that too and it feels like they're almost like it undermines Stein's funeral by putting it right before that that Nazi battle and then whereas I feel like that works so much better at the end and then you save the wedding stuff for once they're back in their own shows. So I haven't spoken to the writers of this, of this miniseries, so I can't speak with authority on this, but I feel like that wasn't an accident. I think that they probably felt like at the end of this giant uh, event, we don't want to end on a downer of Mm. this really emotionally wrenching funeral. And then, okay, bye like that. They wanted to leave the audience on a high note. And so I think ending with the wedding that you started with makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that it's clear that they created this like elicity plot line so that way they could have the kind of fun of like, oh, Barry and Oliver both get married at the mm-hmm. same time because they probably liked that idea as a concept. But I think that the execution of that idea just really doesn't work because the the drama leading up to it feels so contrived, like we talked about, and also like really rude just throughout. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. be talking about whether you want to get married at someone else's wedding, right? Yeah, like that's yeah. like everyone knows that's not cool. So it just it also just feels kind of tasteless on those act on those characters' part. Like they mm-hmm. just feel very kind of narcissistic in yeah, a way that I don't yeah. think that the writers intend. <laughs> you know, so I think that it was. I think that they probably came up with the idea of having them have a double wedding. And this was the way that they brought them to that point. Mm-hmm. And they maybe should have done another draft of like figuring out a way to not have it feel so kind of rude as yeah. a result. I mean, yeah, I, I understand that not wanting to end on a downer note, but that like Martin Stein's death just feels like it should be so much more important to, to what happens in this, in this show compared to the Barry and Iris stuff. And that's why, you know, that's why I said like, you know, the last two times I watched this half, when I get to that scene, I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot he dies in this when that should be like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a great, great actor in, the, in this series. One of the best actors on these, on these shows. And it's his last performance and it's a good one and it's a dramatic one. And it, it leaves such an impact on that universe. And then it just, it feels so overshadowed by the, uh, it gets overshadowed by the wedding stuff at the end instead. Right. I think that I think that the scenes would have played better if there was one more scene between the funeral and the weddings Mm -hmm. where you get a moment where people are kind of like reflecting on what they just experienced. Like maybe you cut to it's the next day you're in a new setting. People are still kind of feeling sad about what happened. And then they get this feeling of like, you know what? Life is too short. We should just get married now. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like you're in that emotion is informed by the by the funeral. But it's not like. I was just at a funeral minutes ago and now I'm getting married in a park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Like I think, so I think like you need like maybe one more interstitial scene to kind of get you emotionally to the place where it doesn't feel like it's all kind of getting rushed and smushed into one giant thing. But you know, they only had so much time and, and yeah. I will say that they let a lot of scenes play out a lot longer than they probably then uh, another version of this miniseries would have mm-hmm. let them. And in all of those cases, letting those scenes play out really was beneficial. So I think that like, ultimately that's the downside of that is that then yeah. when you get to your conclusion, you're out of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Any other things you want to mention about this crossover? Yeah, I feel like I'm like sticking up for this a lot, but I definitely did have some criticisms. <laughs> so, for instance, I thought that the Metallo, uh, every time that showed up, was just a complete disaster. Like, mm. Deus Ex Metallo really needed to go. <laughs> um, it was a number one, like, just, I mean, I'm not a CG snob. I think that like we all have to accept the fact that like this is all kind of silly and it's okay if it doesn't look photorealistic. Like that's mm. fine. These are all cartoons at the end of the day. Uh, but that was like distractingly bad. It just there was no weightless. It was just completely weightless and mm. never felt like it was in the room. And so for it to pop up so many times in these critical moments without any contact, just be like, oh no, Metallo, boom, green laser, done. That kind of sucked. I didn't love that mm-hmm. so much. Um, and I also, I thought that the inclusion of the Ray was just really not well done. I liked yeah. him. I love Russell Tovey. I like that actor a lot. I actually, in it, I was so hyped for this miniseries that I also watched the animated, the Ray and the, mm. and the Freedom Fighters cartoon that they did for CW Seed, um, which is, which they said was like a kind of preview of like a, you know, like a prequel, which is, right. it's not. He but, does, he does um, the voice <laughs> in also, also in that, doesn't he? He does. Yeah, he yeah. does the voice. And and they really set that character up as like, oh, maybe he'll be part of the universe. And then he just never comes back. Because I don't think that the execution of that was really great. I think it looked, I think that he did okay when he was in scenes with, you know, with Wes, mm. um, um, but um, with Wetmore Miller, I should say. But um, at, like when he's paired with the Flash and they're doing, they're trying to take down another robot. Mm. It was just like, I don't know if that stuff worked so well for me. So those are some criticisms. I have also I'm curious if you know if you noticed the connection between this and the last thing I was on your podcast to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, so there is a sequence in, I think, the second episode where the doppelganger, the evil doppelgangers face off against the Trini- our Trinity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Flash and, and Arrow and, and Supergirl. Um, and in order to get away, uh, evil Supergirl uh, shoots lasers to like that kind of construction site tower. Right. And then they completely just crib the the Staten Island area, Staten Island ferry uh. rescue <laughs> from Spider-Man Homecoming, where instead of Spider-Man, it's Oliver is just kind of like jumping around with his with his bow and arrow, like looping around and like very very not great CG uh, try to like tie the beams together just like Spider-Man does. And then like Supergirl comes just like Iron Man does and kind of like holds the beams together. So it doesn't fall and flash rescues all of the people who are in danger. <laughs> I was like, this is literally just Spider-Man uh, homecoming again. This is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I did not, I did not even pick up on that, but you're right. Yeah. It's a nice little uh, tie in. Um, were there any other things that and I also you found to- not to not to be too much of a Marvel like mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, Homer, but I found that like the final finals like action sequence at the end just felt so indebted to Civil War, Captain America Civil War, mm-hmm. and the idea of like oh it's heroes facing off against heroes like in a concrete space with like just a kind of crazy madcap kind of different pairings and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought that they did their best to mm-hmm. make that fun and try to like capture that magic again, but it did give me renewed appreciation for what. Uh, Civil War was able to do, obviously with a totally different budget and different, right, yeah. you know, production constraints. So it's like a little bit unfair, but they're really drawing the parallel. So it's hard not to comment on it. Yeah, I give I give those things a wide berth because they just they don't have the bud the same budget, and I think that's that was one of the criticisms I remember a lot of people had about Christ on Infinite Earths. But 
but I admire it for willing to to take a big swing like that and do Crisis on Infinite Earths. Like I never thought I would see a live action version of it, let alone on a TV budget. So I, I in fact, when they did Crisis on Earth X, I thought this is the closest we'll ever get to Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then when they did that that stinger at the end next year, Crisis on Infinite Earths, I'm like, holy sh- or two years, Crisis on Infinite, I'm like, holy shit, they're doing yeah. it. Yeah, that was exciting in that mm-hmm. moment. That was really exciting. Yeah. Um, but so I guess my last question. Oh, I had one other nice thing to say about this, which is I really liked when in the middle of the whole miniseries, when it's just Felicity and Iris kind of like skulking about Star Labs together, mm-hmm. like taking on bad guys. I thought they had like a really fun dynamic. They kind of balanced the sort of expositionary dialogue that they have to get through because it's a CW show Yeah. Um, with the kind of fun kind of action beats and kind of like, oh, you wouldn't expect these two to be in this situation. And they like mm-hmm. hold their own. And it's, it's really fun. I thought they had a really nice dynamic. Yeah. Um, and but that goes back to what you're saying about, ask- sorry, I was just going to want to say that goes back to what you're saying before yeah. about finding some interesting pairings with these different shows, yeah. which is, um, that was also taking it back to Marvel briefly too. That was one of the great things about infinity war, right? Because when they found these mm-hmm. different pairings, like, you know, you have Iron Man and Dr. Strange, you have, um, uh, you know, Star Lord and Iron Man. Then you have uh, you have all these different characters that you're matching them up and seeing how they interact. Rocket and and uh, and Winter Soldier in that one brief moment too. Uh, Shuri yeah, and, and and Rocket uh, and Rocket and Thor. Rocket and Thor. Such a great oh, yeah. pairing. Yeah, which great. you would have thought that you know Star Lord and Thor. Or then you get um, you know even even Shuri and Banner in that one brief scene too. So you find all these really yeah. interesting pairings and you know just give them a moment and let them breathe. And that was, that was fun when they were able to find those really cool pairings here, like with, with Alex and Sarah and, uh, or with, with Iris and, and Felicity in that one scene too, or even just, you know, the whole idea of the, the Nazi Ali and, and Kara, them being in a relationship. That was mm-hmm. another interesting pairing because, you know, in invasion, Ali was very mistrustful of her. So we're seeing, a flip side of that. And we're seeing a twist on that, but a very, but not, yeah. Not like, but it, it's it's like two degrees twisted. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think that it's fun. And I think something that I like about this better than Crisis on Infinite Earths is that all of those examples that you gave felt fun, but they also felt like they were moving the plot forward. They felt like we were they were naturally occurring mm-hmm. like interactions between these characters that weren't drawing too much attention to themselves. They were just nice little things to like kind of accentuate scenes. Whereas in Crisis on Infinite infinite earths i think sometimes it just felt a lot more fan servicey of like oh man you're never gonna believe the people that mm-hmm. we got together in this scene it's just like and it kind of made everything kind of just stop so that way we could do the fan service and then move on to the next thing and i think that this much better does a much better job executing on that scene idea. that's a fair point yeah i i think as much i think again i have to watch crisis on infinite earths again to see where i would rank it but but I, I think you're right. I think the character beats, based on my memory from Christ on Infinite Earths, I think the character beats in this in these pairings were felt a lot more organic in that way. Except the one exception I think I'd make is the um, the uh, the Black Lightning and Flash meetup. I thought that was really well done. Yes, which was yeah, and that was the highlight of the show. Mm-hmm. And it's like a shame that we only got to see them one more time after that together yeah, because yeah. they had really great. They had a really great connection on screen. Um, now, I, had a, I have a question to end things for you, which is, you know, we didn't talk that much about the, you know, evil doppelgangers of it all. Um, I, for one, loved getting to see Melissa Benoist uh, play evil Kara. I mm. thought she had, like, a great time, and it was really fun to see her. 
are you at all disappointed that we didn't get to see Evil Barry? Now, I know that they specifically said they chose not to do Evil Barry because mm-hmm. Savitar was the, was the villain in the previous season of The Flash, which, spoiler alert, turned out to be Evil Barry. So mm-hmm. like, we just did Evil Barry. Well, we yeah. can't do it again. But are you are you disappointed that we didn't get to see like a straight up pairing of the of the Trinity against each other? Not really, because I agree. I think they made a good choice with that because it would have felt like, oh, we're doing Evil Barry again. Um uh, and I thought it was nice to just focus on it, it really helped to solidify that relationship between Dark Arrow and Overgirl by just having them as the core two villains. And then and then you complete that evil trinity by bringing in Thawne, which is where mm-hmm. he's not he's he's someone outside of that. So I thought that was it, it made sense for me the way they did that. Um, I mean, another way to do it would have been to bring back Savitar, but I don't think that would have worked as well as Thawne. And so I think it, the way they just, they did it, I thought it worked well. Um, so yeah, I was fine with that. I, I, I thought that that was handled well. Um, and speaking of what you said about Melissa Benoist doing her, because one of the things I especially loved about her in Supergirl is just how infectiously enthusiastic she is throughout that show. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in it's like its weakest moments, like that's one of the things that kept bringing me back to it. So seeing her in, playing this same character, but in such a dark, twisted version and doing such a good job with it. I was really, uh, it really gave me a new appreciation for her acting ability. Yeah, they actually liked seeing her in this mode so much that they decided to do the kind of um, whatever, what is that, the Red Sun mm-hmm. Superman storyline, right? Right, right? From the comics in season four, where you kind of get like some crazy thing happens at the end of season, at the end of this current season of Supergirl, where she actually splits off into two versions of herself by accident and she doesn't realize. And one right. of them lands in Russia and gets kind of like brainwashed or not Russia. I think it's some like slightly not Russian country, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, just so that way they could have that more of that dynamic on their own show of, of like not like evil Kara versus not evil mm-hmm. Kara, and they, they complicate it. So it's not just the same thing again, but right. Yeah. Are there, are there any other characters that you wish you did get to see an evil doppelganger of? Like we got, we got Lance, we got Atami and we got the main villains. We didn't get really much of anything else. Like, are mm. you disappointed that we didn't get any other doppelgangers? Um, just because it would be very much playing against type, I think it would have been interesting to see like a dark version of of Ray Palmer. Because yeah, you fun. know we, especially like you know seeing him in like a a, a Doctor Mengele type role or something like that would have been interesting to see how he would have played that because I think he would have had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, that's the only thing for I me. Think of offhand. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I like that they wrote they like they had Sarah not be there for a real reason mm-hmm. that where like she was, you know, because of her queer identity, you know, the the fatherland as it was, you know, disposed of her and that's why she's not there. But I think evil Sarah has a lot of potential as it could have been fun. And I also think like, you know, we got evil evil Cisco already on the mm. flash, so I know why we didn't get that. But Evil Joe could have been really interesting as Evil well. Joe I mean, would I have guess it could have yeah. been similar to the the Quentin Lance beats, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I still would like to see um, yeah, Jesse Joe Martin Joe is an evil Nazi. I guess, I guess he can't be a Nazi though. I mean, given the situation. You never know because they've got some people who are very in the current movement. They got some Nazi people who are definitely of those persuasions. So sure. who knows? Um, sure, I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I, I mean, I think it was in. Uh, you know, when they released Himmler's diaries a few years ago, he wrote in it that 
every, every even the most ardent Nazi has his favorite Jew. So I guess you could see a situation where they would have someone like that in in those situations. Yeah. So I think that's probably too dark for even probably what they're going yeah. for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean that's another thing. I mean, like it, you know, and evil Nate could have been cool though. Evil like, Nate would have been interesting. Really, like, yeah. Because he's such like, you know, he's if you don't watch Legends, like he's like this historian who really cares a lot about American history. And like you could so easily subvert that into like a Nazi version where it could have been fun. But oh, yeah, he doesn't him, really get much to do in this. Him, be, him being like, you know, the, a modern day take on Goebbels or something like that. I could definitely see. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah, that would have been an interesting one. Um, I can't think of any others I would have felt like we it would have been nice to see in this. Um, I will say I didn't like that they had, uh, even though I get why they were doing it, the whole idea of how the Earth X Mick died trying to save a precinct full of cops. In this world, it feels like the cops would be on the side of the Nazis. So <laughs> yeah, that felt like, that a, felt like a thing that, yeah. yeah, they didn't really think that through. Yeah, I don't think yeah. Is that, they just did it for the joke. They did it for the joke. And it, I liked the joke the first time I watched it, but when I watch it this time. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> he, he, he kept trying to save a precinct full of cops. The, wouldn't those cops be serving the Nazi regime? I'm like, I, I would have much preferred him barbecuing the cops then. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was just that, you know, that's, I get, I get why they did it that way. It was just for the joke. Um, overall. Yeah. I think again, I'm not sure if I'm willing to go as far as to say that this would be the best uh, Arrowverse crossover, but it's definitely, if not, and again, I have to rewatch Crisis again. But if not, uh, if not above Crisis, it's definitely on par with Crisis in my mind. Yeah, I think that Crisis probably has the highest highs, like the most fun moments mm-hmm. out of all the cri- crossovers. But I think it's also so inconsistent in quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, having watched it, I've watched it three times through. Don't ask why. Uh, so I've, I feel like I've seen it enough to say. And it's like it's just it just has. It like I said, it has those moments of where it just feels like overt fan service in a way that's distracting. Mm-hmm. There's also like the big climax in the second to last episode when they're all like in the void and and like they're like in that quarry basically, mm-hmm. and they're all kind of like doing. It's it's so incoherent, like what is even happening on a logistical level where mm-hmm. you're just like, I don't like whatever they were going for. They just didn't pull that off. So there's moments like that, and in this, there's never a moment like that. That it works so well from start to finish in mm-hmm. a way that is really impressive. Yeah, it holds together really well, and and like we said, we said before, the character beats are really good, really well done in this. At least from a character standpoint, at this, I think this would definitely be the high point of the Arrowverse. I'm glad I, I won you over to my side. <laughs> at least on one, at least on one aspect of it, I think. Uh, and again, I have yes. to watch rewatch Crisis again to to double check on that. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that that's all we have to say about Crisis on Earth X. So, uh, Alex, why don't you tell people where they can find your stuff? Yeah, so the best way to find me is to go on to www.thepopbreak.com, click on the podcast tab. I'm the podcast, the director of podcasting over there. Uh, so you could definitely check out all of the shows that I host and that I supervise. Um, what, two of them are uh, comic book related. I'm a, the host of Bill versus the MCU, with my co-host Bill Bodkin. Uh, we went through all of the MCU last year, uh, one episode a month, of uh, three or four movies or TV shows at a time. Now we just spent the spring and and winter months going through the defenders saga uh those are the marvel netflix shows 
Uh, and in the summer, we're going to be uh, tackling some episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, which is going to be a lot of fun as well. So, um, And in the meantime, we'll also have a couple of episodes kind of checking in on the current MCU releases, although uh, those episodes are becoming less and less crowded as the year goes on mm-hmm. and those schedules keep changing. Um, I also am the part-time co-host for Batman by the Numbers uh, by with uh, Dan Cohen. He's the main host of that show. And that's where we go through reviews, rankings, and, and uh, news uh, on all things related to Batman and the DC. Uh, universe as a whole so you definitely check that out both of those appear on the pop break today podcast feed or like i said just go on to popbreak.com click on the podcast tab okay great and we'll have links to all those in the show notes too just like last time um alex thanks so much for coming back uh this was fun to revisit this crossover Yes, thanks so much for giving me a chance to just talk about the Arrowverse for 90 minutes. It was a blast. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the discourse on the Arrowverse has become so negative, so I'm glad I was able to have a, for the most part, positive discussion of it, because even with all its flaws, even as I even as it kind of ends with a whimper, I still, overall, I think I like more of it than I don't like. And so it's good to, to find someone else who I could have a, a positive discussion about this with. <laughs> And rewatching this really reminded me about a lot of the reasons why I ever cared about this universe in the first place, which is nice. Absolutely. It was nice to have that opportunity. Yeah, I agreed. Agreed. Uh, well, that does it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website, and we are Super Cinema Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we will talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Superhero Cinephiles, then you'll also love my companion podcast, the Superhero Cinephiles Book Club. All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.